Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One of the uh, benefits of being married to a primary school teacher is that you get all the stories about all the things that the children have been getting up to. And uh, Hazel was telling me about in her last school, when it came to anti-bullying week, that all of the children had to draw a poster condemning bullying. And uh, one of the children in reception class, now you have to bear in mind that in reception class they don't always get the letters correct. That's important for this story. Um, uh, One of the children, we'll call him Little Johnny, did a nice stick man and above wrote the word bully. And at the groin area, the word penis was written. And this uh, poster was uh, given to the the teacher who looked at it and thought, well, it's it's quite a strong anti-bullying message there. Let's let's be quite clear. But she was a bit worried about it and thinking it's probably not best that we call bullies that because then we're just descending with them. Maybe the child's got the wrong message in some way, shape or form. Little Johnny is called up to the teacher and she says, do you know what that word is? And he says, yes. Be nice. (laughs) The teacher has to leave the room, has a good laugh, comes back in, writes in brackets, be nice. Poor little Johnny is sent around every single class in the school to go and show this to every single teacher. He wonders why for the next four years every teacher is laughing at him uh, throughout his time at that school. So often we think we know what the text says and occasionally we don't understand the author's meaning. But occasionally, the author can hide a meaning that is also there in the story. The nature of the parables is that Jesus tells them so that each time you go to them, you can come away with a different conclusion. They are there for us to wrestle with. And by and large, The gospel writers are clever enough to realise that they're not to start providing interpretations of the parables. Luke forgets that with our our gospel reading today. He says that this parable is all about a judge and a, a widow and the fact that it's all about persistency in prayer. It's not. Because one of the other problems is that actually we don't have the accurate translation here. At the part where it says, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming, there is another interpretation, which is, I will grant her justice so that she may not finally come and slap me in the face. Which is a bit more EastEnders, if you think about it, really, isn't it? That actually, we think we know the meaning of this parable, but actually, that different translation turns it entirely on its head. If we go to the parables, we go there to wrestle with them, but if we've already had it told us, oh, well, it means this, then that kind of prevents that opportunity for us. 
And in addition, if Luke, when he's writing this, is accurate, then how are we to interpret this? Are we to actually say that God can be equated with an unjust judge who neither fears God nor has respect for people? It's an interesting approach and understanding of God there, isn't it? Because often what happens is people will, will go to the parables and they'll assume that God is the powerful figure in the parable, not the weak person. But if that's right, then in this parable, God is unjust, God is heartless, God is evil, God is wrathful. So I suspect that there has been some editing going on with the the version that we've ended up with. This is not a parable about persistence in prayer. It has very little to do with that. And if it is something about persistence in prayer, then it frankly is a really truly disappointing conclusion to that parable. This parable is also unusual because by and large, when Jesus says parables, he says the kingdom of God is like uh, a sheep running off and getting lost. It's like a man going on a road and getting beaten up and a, a Samaritan walks along and finds him. This parable is not like that. Here is a parable where actually I think Jesus is not describing per se the kingdom of God. He is describing the world as it is. The status of a widow meant that as soon as she was deprived of her husband's support, the estate passed to her husband's brothers. Widows, therefore, throughout the Old and New Testament were deemed as particularly vulnerable and there were obligations on wider society to support the widow throughout. Deuteronomy 24, verse 17, even uh, going through into uh, James chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Widows were supposed to be supported. They were not supposed to be sent into penury, and therefore this widow is one of the victims, and she is saying, I need justice because I have no hope, because I've no family left, no one there to support me. What on earth is going to happen? And she keeps wanting justice, but she's got the problem of the fact that this unjust judge doesn't care and will not support her, that he is flying in the face of the law of the land. So I said that this parable is not necessarily about the kingdom of God, but it's about how the world is now. It's about an incredibly powerful man who thinks that he is above the law of the land. Now, draw your own conclusions if you want to on that one, by all means. A wealthy man inured to the sufferings and troubles of other people. It all sounds desperately familiar the oppressed trampled upon, those with wealth and power circumventing the law to maintain their position and their wealth. Think mafia dons, think Russian oligarchs, think whoever you like on this. And for widows, this day read instead of the victims of a bedroom tax, asylum seekers, migrant workers in the sex industry, those who want justice but cannot get it. We've ended up in our country whereby access to legal aid has become increasingly hard. You almost have to be wealthy now to be able to access the law in any way, shape or form. 
There's no one now to challenge the dodgy landlords, the rogue companies messing around with people's benefits, the loan sharks and so on. Jesus is saying that this parable is how the world is, but he's also saying that God's justice should not be just for those who can afford it. God's justice should be for all. Jesus is not talking about the kingdom of God, but he is talking about how human beings have created systems of power and oppression. And hidden in that parable is this gem. Lest she come and smack me in the face, lest she come and give me a black eye. So here he is, this all-powerful man. I'll grant her some small justice. The translation we have is supposedly about persistence in prayer, but actually this widow is not persistent, she is desperate. She is like so many who are crying out for justice. Those who, is it just that if they cry enough and for long enough that actually justice will happen for them? Or how on earth are they ever to achieve hope? How are they ever to achieve justice? If they just keep crying out, or is it that actually they have to do more, they have to organise, they have to say, I am not going to be a slave anymore, I demand justice. They have to be Rosa Parks saying, I'm fed up with standing on a bus and I'm going to sit right down until you do something about it. Heaven shall not wait for the poor to lose their patience, the scorn to smile, the despised to find a friend. Jesus is Lord, he has championed the unwanted. In him injustice confronts its timely end. Heaven shall not wait for the rich to share their fortunes, the proud to fall, the elite to tend the least. Jesus is Lord. He has shown the master's privilege to kneel and wash servants' feet before they feast. This is a story of revolution, of oppressed peoples organising, of people realising that all have the right to justice, not just the wealthy or the powerful or the elites. Jesus here is demanding that the victims of injustice organize and challenge the oppression, as it is only in the challenge that the perpetrators of injustice may stop their harmful practices. Now, it might be that we find this uncomfortable. It might be we find this uncomfortable because we don't really like the thought of people actively challenging or resisting or getting bolshy or maybe even threatening. Because actually what we like in the church is we like reconciliation and healing and forgiveness. But actually that can only happen once justice itself has been established. And we have to be the people who pursue justice first and foremost. And then once that has been established, once the will of God is enacted, then the reconciliation and the healing can take place. But you can't reconcile while injustice continues. It is up to us as the body of Christ to be the voice of the widow, the orphan, the dispossessed and the hungry and to help them to challenge the unjust judges of our day. Too often the church has been very good at being compassionate. If we look at what's happened over the past 10 years, by and large with the cutting back of the welfare state, the church has stepped in. And we have done admirably. We've set up 
thousands of food banks where they're giving debt advice left, right and centre. The church has stepped into the breach where no one else at times has. But all we are doing is we are ministering plasters to those who are desperate while the systemic injustice continues and will continue to continue and flourish. We cannot just be a compassionate church. We must be a prophetic church as well, of speaking out, of demanding that which is right and true before God. That the widows are offered justice, that the orphans are tended to, that those who are dispossessed have no need to cry out anymore for justice because they actually have hope and dignity. Which side are you on? Are you on the side of the widow or are you on the side of the unjust judge? And for us as a church, which side are we going to be on? The status quo must be challenged. And wherever you go and wherever you look in the Gospels, what you actually see is that Jesus is modelling a form of civil disobedience that Gandhi works out and Tolstoy works out, of saying, where there is injustice, we must fight it. Injustice is an abhorrence before God and needs to be challenged and needs to be condemned. And we fight it. We fight anger with joy. We fight fear with hope. We fight contempt with compassion. But we as the church are called to fight against all injustice, not to just sit there and watch it happen. And not just to go and salve our consciences by occasionally helping those who aren't needy and throwing a few pounds into a, a charity box. But rather we are called to speak out for injustice and to demand it on behalf of those who are the victims. Which side are you on? May God give us the strength we need to realise that actually being on his side will be costly and it will be tough, but it is the right thing for us to do. So may God, through his Holy Spirit, give us the courage, the faith and the strength we need to follow him this day and forevermore. Amen.